Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, member Odyssey2112 shares how he survived a monstrous debt load, horrible timing, and some unforgiving industries, including investment banking at Jefferies and an internal corporate role at Barclays. One wise piece of advice on what you should optimize for and some humorous stories along the way. Enjoy. Odyssey 2112, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Patrick. It's and a pleasure and an honor to be in your presence. So just for clarity, that's Odyssey without the E, but if it'd be great if you could give the listeners a quick summary of your bio. Yeah, uh, so uh, I'm a second-generation South Asian uh, male. My, my parents emigrated here in the 70s. Um, to Long Island, New York. Um, so I was born and raised there. Grew up a pretty typical lifestyle. Um, I was really into music and economics and finance. I was actually pretty dorky, you know, in, in elementary school where I would, you know, I really was fascinated by like basketball and baseball stats. So I'd actually make up my own players and create stat sheets on them, on of them on paper, nice. which is really, really dorky. But <laughs> I knew I always really liked numbers and calculating things and uh, selling and talking to people. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what helped me gravitate towards uh, business and finance. Um, you know, my dad's a doctor, uh, so I always saw him. Uh, Mine too. Work with his patients. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What kind of doc? What kind of doctor? Cardio cardiologist. Yeah, my dad's an endocrinologist. Nice. Yeah, so very similar. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, I, I've got some early memories of just spending time with my dad in his office and just talking to the patients and making their lives, making them feel better. Because mm -hmm. uh, I would, you know, go to my, work with my mom and dad, and it was kind of like I didn't want to go to the babysitter, so I just spent time with my mom and dad at work. And that's pretty um, cool. But yeah, uh, I, I I was always inclined towards music and math and and economics and history, uh, and so a lot of analytical stuff and. Uh, now, I was always pretty intense, pretty serious. I took myself really seriously a lot. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's pretty typical at, for young. Sorry? It's pretty typical for young males in finance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We think we know the we think we know the right answer. We think we know time. everything. Yeah, so that's fair. That was similar to me when I was graduating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, the decision came to school, and you know, my uh, when I was applying to schools, I was. Uh, given the ability to, to go to whatever school I wanted. And there was a big, big thing in my family 
mm-hmm. uh, because I'm the youngest of three brothers and by far, so I'm like 10 years younger than my, my elder brothers. Got it. And my brothers, they had actually made a lot of sacrifices when they were making their college decisions because my mom was terminally ill. Um, and she actually passed away when I was 11. Hmm. So that was probably like a key watershed moment for me. But um, what my brothers really and my dad wanted from me most was get the best education you can. And so it was a bit of an emotional decision in going to Stern where, um, you know, I was academically strong. I had, you know, above 1400 on my SATs. I was, you know, an A, A minus student. Yeah. Uh, but I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily like the valedictorian in my class. I was, I was like, you know, I used to play guitar. I used to go you had, play. You were well balanced. You didn't just do academics. Exactly. I was pretty well balanced and, yeah. and, and had a lot of different interests and, you know, thought finance was like a good pathway in, but the, the, the financing decision at, uh, that I that I don't regret, but, you know, coming in that I want WSO readers, to, the viewers to, to, to think about is, you know, make the right financing decision about undergrad uh, because I basically went on full loan. And so I started my, my journey on And NYU is expensive, man. It's expensive there, right? Like 50, yeah, back, back it was, then it was, it was like 50 k in that now it's like 60 70 all in per year mm-hmm. right okay yeah uh when i was when i was when i was there it was like 35 40 all in so it was a big, big decision for the family but it was an emotional thing and it was like you know uh, sorry the odyssey 2112 you, you, mm-hmm. you have to uh you have to go for the what's, what's best for you so i came in a stern saying look you know i know finance at a high level i i feel like i'll figure it out i, I went in with uh uh with an assumption of saying, look, I would want to have a more balanced uh, college experience, but have the the weight of Stern behind me to kind of take me where I needed to go. That's fair. That was the, that was the, yeah, was the, the in, initial intent. So like you kind of knew you were going to go finance from the beginning, from when you went to undergrad, you were taking on a lot of debt. You're like, hey, I need to get a job right when I get out. And then the worst possible timing happens, financial crisis, <laughs> right? When you're what, in your junior year? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like we start hearing about, you know, Bear Stearns failing, you know, the uh, mm-hmm. uh, the spring of my junior year, where we're basically in Hong Kong for an international study project, and our TA who was signed on for Bear Stearns Equity Research as a you know experienced associate, he just you know, kind of got laid off because his his offer got rescinded. So we started hearing that a lot. Yeah. Um, and and our our year, I don't want to be biased, but like you know, our year. You know, we had a lot of really smart folks, um, and people started getting pretty nervous. Um, and back to your question about, you know, what I what I wanted to get out of school, I came into school actually thinking I'd want to do like econ and international business, something a little bit more high level. I didn't know, I didn't even know that Stern was so well a student in finance, and I mm-hmm. didn't really think that I wanted to do like hardcore finance or investment banking. I thought, you know, I could do something in public finance or, or municipal finance. So I didn't really have a plan set. Um, okay. and so that kind of threw things a little bit in the, in the grinder for me too, because I, I didn't necessarily use my undergrad experience to, to its fullest extent. Uh, that being said, I, I did finance and accounting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got pretty good internships. Uh, but you know, my summer internship at city was pretty bad. Um, you know, we had you know, less than 20%, uh, you know, retention of, of interns. Mm. We had people getting laid off left and right. I mean, the guy who was first year analyst who was training me, basically got laid off the first week that I was at the, at my summer internship. Um, So it was real. Like the struggle was real for everybody at that time. Yeah. No, seriously. I can't even imagine it must've been stressful. 
Um, but so you're you're <laughs> doing your internship. Most of the people don't get a return offer, so you're coming into senior year. What's the thought process like? Just scramble, get anything you can. Yeah, I mean, I think um, because I had had like a public finance background, it was really tough to make the transition into corporate finance. I mean, I was up against folks who had started internships from their freshman and sophomore year. I was up against people who just really lived, ate, and breathed finance at Stern. And people were ultimately really, really competitive. Um, I just thought that it would just create a lot of negative vibes about, uh, about people. Yeah. Um, and, and particularly for me, it was more like, okay, like you're not investing in any relationships. You're really investing in yourself and, and you're just really being cutthroat about it. And Stern has that, has, has that notorious reputation. Kind of, yeah. You know, stick of, yeah. It's got that reputation for, for being that kind of place. Mm-hmm. And it, it was just, it was just kind of accentuated. So it, it, it was definitely very ch- challenging. I think, I think the saving grace for me in my senior year was that I was like the head of a, a school organization that was making a lot of impact from a humanitarian perspective. Um, I met my future wife then, and I, I, I told myself that I have to be patient with myself and I have to kind of give myself more leniency if, mm-hmm. if, uh, if I'm going to get out of this, right? I, I had to be my own advocate, right? And, get out of this, meaning know, like it, getting out of the debt, you mean? Or getting out of yeah, getting out of the debt. Yeah, getting out of the debt. I mean, I mean, I was fine as a student. I was always like a you know yeah a, a three five student, three four three five student. Mm-hmm. Um, it was more about okay, like I have this like really big thing ahead of me. You know, I have one hundred and forty thousand dollars of debt staring me in the face. How am I going to get my stuff? How am I going to get myself serious about things? Um, and so that was kind of like you know starting from point zero. So there was times where I said. Oh, I should I should think about being a paralegal. I should think about you know just starting things from scratch. I should you know just really start from a very very bare bones perspective because I think you know it also comes down to your personality, right? I'm more of a high level strategic thinker. I really am excited about ideas and, mm-hmm. and moving things and 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 uh, and influencing people and being more of a coach and strategist as opposed to okay, I need to be able to go through like a hundred tab Excel model and understand all the mistakes in there. That's right. just not my personality, right? Fair. Um, so it's come to it was come to terms with a lot of those 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 different things. Um, but you know, uh, a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine, got me into an offer at a, a an internal corporate finance and franchising company called Edible Arrangements. Mm-hmm. It was a really cool opportunity where I was able to work directly with the CEO and his family. And uh, I, I think it's it's a, it's a very big it's a big spoiler for me because I've I've always worked with like C suites. Uh, I've always had that, you know, C-suite exposure. Yeah. Uh, I think it's partly because I've always been exposed to, you know, older siblings and I can walk and talk a little bit more maturely than people. And I look a little bit more mature than people, mm-hmm. but, um, but I was, you know, tasked with, you know, doing a lot of restructuring work and corporate strategy work at a, at a company that was in the middle of Bumble F Connecticut. Yeah. Uh, but I really, I really cut my teeth there because it gave me confidence. Right. And like, so tell me, you know, of a, you had you said, edible you, arrangements. You said you got yeah. You said you got a fr- you had a friend helped you get that. What explain to me that? Like, how did they just? I mean, it was a really tough time to get a job. So you know, tell me how that yeah. happened. Was it an intro? Yeah, an yeah, I, process? I, yeah. I, th- I think I think at those times that are tough, you know, you have to really leverage your network and your relationships, right? So this friend of mine was sitting in Connecticut. He was basically a part time paralegal for edible arrangements, and he was going to law school at UConn. Like that was literally what he was. Okay. And, but he was two years my senior from NYU, and him and I had 
really get to know each other, you know, when we were in the city. So you graduated in 2007. Yeah. I was graduating in 2009. Um, we really cultivated that relationship through college. So um, he did me a really big favor. I mean, I mean my, my job offer was, was a joke. It was $40,000, right? It wasn't yeah. like anything impressive, right? But uh, but I had to get myself in the door with regards to corporate finance, right? So, I mean, the, the takeaway from there really for anybody who's listening to this is that you really have to have a really good plan and you have to kind of lay out that plan, you know, through plan ABC and nobody could have kind of imagined what, what, what the financial crisis would have brought forward. But, um, still, like, I think, you know, I'm not regretting anything that happened because things like, I'm a firm believer that things fall into place, but you have to have a plan of contingency. Um, and there are a lot of times where I took offers that, uh, that I probably shouldn't have taken and things that I didn't do that I probably should have, but, it's all part of the learning process of uh, of becoming. So. For sure. So so you're basically, you're at this firm for about a year. And tell me about what the thought process was of why you started looking. Was it because it was the middle of nowhere in Connecticut? Was it because you felt like you weren't growing enough or you just felt like at that point, hey, the pay's too low. I really need to try and get a banking gig. Things are improving with the economy a little bit. Let me see if I can try it. Or like, tell me a little bit about that thought process and that process, that, that, that recruiting step that you made. Yeah. So I think, the thought process there was I've studied corporate finance. I've spent a lot of money. Um, I am also getting married because I met this really amazing girl, you know, in the end of 2008 and our families really like each other. And mm-hmm. I, I, I really miss New York. It was a lot of everything, right? It was, yeah. it was give my degree a full shot, uh, a B, um, believe in myself and believe in what I need to get done. Uh, and it wasn't just that I need to pay off these loans, but it was more like investment banking is the right platform to, to springboard off of anything after that. I really was a firm believer in that based off my research. Mm-hmm. Um, it was either that or that or consulting, but I really felt good about uh, banking because I really like, I was enjoying like the corporate finance side of things after kind of my experience at Edible Arrangements. Um, you know, so it was a combination of those things. And I, I felt like I had the, I had the motor to do it. And so uh, I interviewed at a few banks. Uh, actually, I didn't really interview at all. It was literally all my relationships because there was a guy in the marketing team at Edible Arrangements who I just developed a good relationship with. And I was just communicating my frustrations with what was going on at, at this small company. Um, and we had a couple of good conversations. He said, hey, look, one of my nieces is connected to somebody at Jeffrey's. Um, maybe I could shoot your resume over. It turned out that that, that woman who was the connect that Jeffries was also a Stern alum and she knew a lot of my old friends from Stern too. And I just got pulled into Jeffries given the fact that it was a very strong Stern network and Jeffries was known to be a little bit more scrappy uh, and yep. he was willing to invest in people mm. um, as opposed to being, you know, we need the guys and girls who are 3.9 GPAs and who have, you know, immac- immaculate modeling skills and, all that stuff. So it was known to be a scrappy bank. And at that time, it was actually a really interesting time for Jeffries where because Lehman had collapsed, Jeffries was marketing itself as kind of the only pure play investment bank left on Wall Street. Mm. Um, and they were riding on the coattails of inheriting a lot of the old UBS people like uh, uh, Bill Lorello and uh, or, or um, all those other kind of ex-UBS guys. And and uh, it was kind of that exodus that built out Molis and 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 Jeffries and and uh, Green Tech Capital Advisors. So really interesting time at Wall Street at that point. So um, I interviewed with a couple of teams, and I, I you know I, I took the the first team that that accepted me, mm-hmm. uh, which was the Maritime team. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> which is, uh, you know, shipping investment banking. Um, okay. And? So I'm 23. I'm looking at, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So go ahead continue. So you, you do a couple of years there. So how was that? Yeah. So I'm 20, yeah, I'm 23 and I'm saying, okay, I got an investment banking job. I'm working with a very specialized team of kind of like mad scientists who know how to talk to Nordic and Greek, uh, ship owning companies and making them feel like you know, they don't know anything. So very specialized, uh, but also very, um, very nice people. Um, you know, if somebody, you know, there's a bad stick on wall street that says that, you know, you usually are you know stuck with people who are, you know, type A's or they don't really care for your, your well-being. I came into a place at Jeffries where the, you know, the team that I was part of was very, very accommodating. Um, you know, my SVP at that time was, was a phenomenal person, and you know he's he's written on my LinkedIn. He um, he understand my you know what was on my plate. You know, he too, I, I told him I was getting married. He looked at me like you're, you're crazy. You're 23. You, you have you don't have your whole, whole life ahead of you. <laughs> but there were just some things that just kind of aligned, and I was always I'm always a firm believer in saying don't don't force against the momentum. If things are happening, just just let them evolve. Yeah. So. I was getting married in July 2010. I get this offer in April 2010. I'm excited about the fact that the the, the, the base is like, you know, uh, 80% higher than what I was making. And then there's the potential for bonus. Right. And it was a foot in the door on Wall Street. It wasn't the end of the, it wasn't the end of the, the road for me, mm-hmm. but it was, okay, what do I, what do I get out of this? So, you know, that two year experience was a, it was a phenomenal ride. Um, what were your hours always, like? What were your hours like? And how did your bonuses turn out? If you don't mind sharing. Yeah, so hours were, you know, anywhere from like, you know, uh, 60 to 90 or even 100 at times, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, bo- bonuses turned out to be pretty good, uh, like 80, 70, 80, 90% of my salary. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I would say that, you know, I got a lot of credit for, you know, being very conscientious and, and being a really good worker for them and really sticking to it to, to learn the industry. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the things that, you know, I took away from that is I knew that I was very flexible. Like I had just learned, you know, in 20, 2007, 2008, I learned a lot about the public finance infrastructure of how to raise municipal bonds. And then in 2009, I learned about the franchising business. And now in 2010, I'm learning about the shipping business. Yeah. Um, and it's more, it's all, it's all more international. It's, it's macro. It's, tied to the oil and gas markets, it's tied to underlying commodity markets. So I'm just getting a lot of, I'm just getting, I'm just getting really enriched. And so I'm just loving it, right? Because I'm just I'm There's, feeling like I'm- The learning curve's not flattening just, out at any point, really. You're just kind of soaking it all in. Yeah, yeah, I'm soaking it all in and, and I'm just enjoying the experience. So, you know- So when did you feel, great. when did you feel like yeah. was a good time to start looking or when did you feel like- was it because the learning curve was flattening? Was it because you just started getting hit up by a lot of recruiters as the economy kept heating up um, and getting better? As we went from 2010 to 2012, 13, things started getting a little bit better at that point. Can you tell me kind of what the thought process was of kind of what, what your next step was going to be? Yeah. I mean, look, I was already two years into my marriage. I would, I would, you know, be commuting every day and I would be on the black car and, you know, I'd gained a lot of weight. Um, mm-hmm. I was like 200 pounds almost. And my typical weight was like 165, 170. Yeah. Um, I had managed to keep my marriage together, you know, those <laughs> first two easy. years, despite not, you know, despite not seeing my wife a lot. Um, 
And you know, I was always part of, I was, my decision-making process was not always about, hey, I have to prioritize my career right now. It was about making sure the career fit with my family and my, my overall wellness and, you know, making sure that I could see my dad, um, you know, who was, uh, you know, who was, uh, you know, living in, in Long Island, you know, and, and I was, and I could commute back to, to kind of make sure he was doing okay. He was a widower for 20 years. So we always had this thing in our family that we need to kind of keep ourselves together. Yeah. Um, so, so it was how, a lot of those things that kind of influenced my decision-making process about not staying in banking um, at that point. Yeah, I think it's interesting because a lot of people aren't willing to kind of make that. That's a really tough sacrifice to make, like especially if you were married so young. So it's like I can understand it's really got to be rough on your significant others if you're working those you know 80 plus plus hour weeks pretty consistently so when you were thinking about this was it like a discussion with your wife was it something where you guys are just you started kind of saying well this isn't working and that the commute's brutal the what you know let me start thinking of other options or did you start talking to your network how did you kind of figure out your next step because you still stayed in yeah. finance but it was kind of a, a pivot a little bit yeah, no, I, I think I think my goal was to say, you know, look, within two years, I paid off all my debt. I was really happy about that. Yeah. You know, um, I was really happy to be at, you know, at zero. At zero. In terms of my net, <laughs> at, uh, in, in terms of my net worth. Yeah. Right. At, mm-hmm. By by August 2012, I was really really happy about that. Um, but the decision process was more multifaceted. It was more about look, I still have. A lot to learn, and I think it was. Still, I was still excited about the prospect of just being an explorer and 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 seeing different sides of the coin and leveraging what I learned from one piece and trying to take it to the other, the other side. Did you ever feel you know, like jumping getting, around like yeah. from to different things like this though would hurt you? Like, did you ever have that sense of like, well, maybe it'd be better if I just stayed and just went all the way up? What what gave you the confidence to to kind of be almost more like more entrepreneurial with your career? Yeah, I think what gave me the confidence to do that was like I really need to focus on my my happiness and my wellness and, and other sides of the equation. Like what, what like work was one part of my one part of my my identity, so to speak. Like I had it other identities that identity. I Got played it. to. Yeah, that, that, that make up who I am, right? Um like there was always a point of transition and like I'm always the type of guy that likes to eat something up and kind of gnaw at it and then just kind of move on from there. Like that's just my personality. Um, okay, that's fair. And so the other part of it was that when I was looking at the senior bankers at Jefferies, it was like these guys are just glorified salesmen, <laughs> right? There's nothing that differentiates a banker from a real estate agent, right? Fair. Um, and I didn't want to be that person. I mean, I think, you know, seeing like the advances in technology, seeing the the way trends were shifting, um, it wasn't that I felt like investment banking was going to die, but I felt that, like, what am I going to keep on doing all day long? I'm just going to keep on, like, selling stuff to people. And, you know, even when I was at Jefferies, like, you know, the companies that we were dealing with, a lot of the deals that we did end up hurting those companies. End up hurting those right? companies, you're uh, saying, eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah, like, the deals that we did for them, like, they eventually just, like, kind of were Why do you think that transactions was? that kind of just because like there were acquisitions that just weren't a good fit or whatnot, or was it mostly M and A work, or was it like uh, leveraged? Like you guys are putting on some leverage on the the, the company. Yeah, no. So with, what, what, with one company, we literally did a deal 
where we helped them acquire vessels and those vessels were focused on commodity markets that basically failed right after that. And then the cash flows of those vessels wouldn't be able to support the underlying levers they took on. Yep. And so 16 months later, we helped them raise like equity to bridge a lot of the, the covenant compliance there. Right. Brutal. Uh, and, and it's just like, you know, like I'm seeing all this and I'm like, I'm seeing like, but that's like banking. That's kind of bad timing too. Right. Unlucky in terms of like it, it, people couldn't necessarily predict that commodity collapsing. I mean, maybe they could have, um, but yeah, no, yeah. You, you're totally right. I mean, um, you know, I, I just get, a, I had a bad taste in my mouth. It's like, I'm so yeah. exposed to market risk. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get like, I think to your point, I'm kind of sounding it out. I wanted to de-risk that element of my career that it's so tied to the market. Do you, do, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. So like you wanted to get out of like yeah. the commodity oil gas s- space almost. And... I want to get, yeah, yeah. And, and I also wanted to get out of, I, I had offers to potentially join like Spotify or Netflix and you know, I also was kind of weary about tech companies because I had seen my brothers go through like the dot com boom, and I had seen mm. all that stuff. Like I, I had heard all these stories, so it kind of built up like a, a kind of like a gnawing kind of like risk aversion around me. So right? Like so, I'm not going to go to that tech company, like, which is no cash flow and <laughs> it's just growing fast, top line. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and like I cut my teeth and like, you know, comp- like asset cash flow, asset based cash flow generating right companies, right? Like shipping companies are all like. They're like real estate, right? It's like a ship can generate X EBITDA, right? But it has to make its break-even point if it doesn't, you know, beat its mortgage, right? It's like it's very simple economics, right? But but I'm cutting my teeth in this kind of thought process that's very like asset intensive, yeah. And so anything that anything that anything that looks remotely asset light and just dependent on users and dependent on like user growth. I just feels risky. didn't know it. Yeah, I didn't absolutely. have faith in it. It feels risky. Yeah. And you, like you said, your brothers had some struggles um, with the dot com. And so tell me, so you, you ended up doing what? Why don't you share what kind of the next jump? And, and yeah, kind of and the next jump was more to say, okay, like, hey, I, I want to do like this long term corporate thing. And I want to do, you know, um, I want to do um, internal strategy for, you know, a company and, help drive initiatives forward. And I was like, still like very googly eyed about the whole strategy thing and, you mm-hmm. know, uh, all these things. And then, so I joined Barclays as a AVP within their strategy practice to help enhance process and, and improvement of how to run a wealth management platform. Right? And was so that a pay cut literally, coming from banking? Because the, I, I can assume the, I can assume the bonuses weren't as crazy high, but since it was more like an internal, almost like a middle office, you're still C-suite. But like, how does it, I guess easier way to ask is how, what was the pay like in that? Was it a cut? Yeah. The pay from the pay from a base perspective was the same, Okay, but there was definitely not nearly any of the, up the upside in terms of bonus. And what about right? the hours? Like what, about, to, what about the hours? It was like 10 to 20% bonus. Got it. But the hours were like 40 to 50 hours. Which yeah. It's a big deal. That's a big drop in hours. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was a big drop in hours. It was able to do a lot of different things. Cool. I was able to get involved in some like, you know, nonprofit work and you know, get more involved in my marriage, right? Yeah. Um, but what I learned from there, again, was internal corporate is just all politics, right? When you look at investment banking, the cool thing is you're, you're transactional, you're selling, you're actively involved in projects, there's sprints, um, you're deep diving and there's some sort of end to something, right? When you're right. in corporate, things just kind of linger on 
there's constant kind of bickering of you know, minutiae that ends up being, you know, politically driven that doesn't really mean anything at the end of the day. Right. Um, and so you feel disconnected from the change. The great thing about investment banking is that, um, yeah, you, you know, you could be doing company, doing companies dirty by messing up their capital structure, but you are learning the art of selling. You're learning the fundamentals of how businesses run. Um, you are actively working with C-suite clients and you're just, you're kind of in it, right? I mean, yeah. Probably the be- the better counterpoint to anything of this is probably consulting and being totally honest, because consulting offers all that in a long term learning process, and potentially a more smooth exit to internal corporate if that's your if that's your if that's your uh, cup of tea. Got it. Fair. Okay. So you're yeah. you're doing this internal corporate thing. It's it sounds like it wasn't the most enjoyable experience because it was you know a lot of politics and stuff like that, and then eventually, so you started kind of. I'll call it a time of kind of your jumping here, you know, to a few places. Um, is that fair no. Or, or no? I think How- it's jumping to one place. Okay. So yeah. we'll, we'll talk to that. Yeah. So I was really starting to read a lot more about the economy improving and I started getting acclimated to all these like SaaS business models and kind of how these companies are growing. So yeah. um, that was like my nighttime reading, just really, really just learning, you know, about what's going on in TechCrunch, learning about like Palantir Technologies, ZocDoc, like all these companies just started coming up yep. um, really, really, really heavily. So, um, you know, the, at the end of my time at investment banking, I had actually interviewed for Teach for America. I thought I would really, really enjoy teaching and imparting knowledge on people. I really enjoyed being a coach for people. Yep. But I ended up not getting it. So actually my boss at Barclays was actually, you know, negotiating his own ed- exit package. He would actually interviewed at Wall Street Prep. He said, he's like, look, this is a little bit too uh, early stage for me. But if you're interested in this, you know, you like financial modeling, you like analytics, and you like working with people, maybe this is something that you really want to look into. Because at that time, even the ed tech revolution was in full swing, like with the MOOCs and Coursera and Udacity. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, sure. so Wall Street Prep appealed to me a lot because it was kind of a marriage of ed tech and my skill set. And um, I thought of this as a potential like pre-MBA opportunity where I could differentiate myself as an MBA, pre-MBA candidate and actually do something that's giving back to people, yeah. right? Yeah, So. Um, I had interviewed a lot of different startups. I had interviewed like at Newton and, and, and a couple other places, uh, ZocDoc here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I ended up going with Wall Street Prep. Um, and the thesis for that was, Hey, look, you know, I still like corporate finance. I still like kind of like deals and analyzing transactions and companies, but I want to do it on, you know, I really want to, you know, uh, see what this teaching thing is all about. I really wanted to understand my personality. I mean, I think the, the, the common theme around all this is that I'm still learning about where my strengths and weaknesses lie or relative strengths yeah. and relative weaknesses lie. So um, tell me so about story, that transition yeah. to becoming almost like a, a teacher, really. I mean, I'm still in financial modeling and still in your in your wheelhouse of, of expertise, but how was that transition? What did it feel like to go from doing deals to, you know, doing live trainings and and helping students. I think like the, the, like the element of it is that, you know, if you enjoy performing and I was always a performer, I played guitar in high school. And if you enjoy, um, seeing people improve, if you have that kind of internal kind of like compass, 
then this job is really, really rewarding. Um, that being said, you know, I had to get my valuation stuff right. I had to go through like two months of rigorous training internally. I had to uh, polish on my, my my skills on how to present and how to make sure that I was, you know, sharp on everything that I knew. I had to know the content inside and out. Right. Um, and it's also like you're on the ground, you know, on your feet for like nine hours out of the day. Yeah. Right? So it's not like, you know, it's, it's not like walking the park by any means. Yeah. It's not like you're giving like a two, it's not like you're giving like a, 10 minute TED talk here, right? It's like yeah. for nine hours, you're going through a 300 page deck. You are literally teaching people how to do a financial model for the first time. Sometimes yeah, uh, you are teaching people the basics about like, Hey, you shouldn't like, you know, uh, daisy chain links or how does, how do you run a sensitivity table or how do you think about, you know, doing some advanced lookups? I mean, it, it, it's definitely very grueling, but I felt like I was, I felt in it because I was giving something of myself. Like my heart was in it. I don't know how to explain that. Yeah. But you just, you felt passionate like, about it. Like you you could see you were helping kids that were trying to improve themselves. Right. To, to make yeah, themselves. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I get it. And, my mother, it, my mother right? was a teacher. Yeah. You, my mother was a teacher. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> she was a teacher. Yeah, your mother's a teacher. And then, and then, and, and you're also part of this whole concept of actually, Teaching informing people and giving about what they're back. trying to get themselves yeah. into. Yeah, right? absolutely. I, I want people to go in wide, eyes wide open and not be uh, drinking too much Kool-Aid. So it's good. We You'll see in all of our social channels, we don't sugarcoat banking. We we, we give the ugly too. <laughs> um, well, exactly, right? And, yeah. and, and that's what gave me the ability to, to kind of tell my story. Like, hey, look, I you call me lucky or unlucky, it doesn't really matter. Like money is not like the only defining defining factor for me. It is a it is a defining factor for me, but it was about look, enjoy your experience and go come into banking or consulting or whatever you want to do, but just be very cognizant of your decisions. Because it's it's your career is important, but if your career isn't really that fully important for you, then you shouldn't really do something that's gonna take you away from things that you really want to pursue. So mm. I think that was that was what was really helpful for me is when I was teaching is that I was able to sprinkle in a lot of my horror stories and and and, and give that impart that knowledge onto people. Tell me one of your horror stories. <laughs> one of my horror stories. Uh, yeah, I guess I assume from your banking days, from your <laughs> from my banking days. Yeah. Oh man. Um, or what's I the what's like, one of the funnier ones? Two. Oh yeah, I remember like two months in, like I'm on this M and A deal for that company that we tried to help, you know, buy vessels from, mm-hmm. but to, to convince to buy vessels for, and literally like the VP of the of my team has just left. Um, he was six years into the job and he was a star guy. He hired me, but he went to do something else in in the Middle East or in Houston, I think. Mm-hmm. And literally, it's like the the MD, me, who's like a very like you know, green lateral first year analyst and an intern who is this like little Asian dude um, who's just really eager and passionate. And he's also really wicked smart. Like he's from, I think he was at Cornell and he was, he was an intern at Jeffries. So literally we're running this deal and like it's the night before this M&A transaction is to close. And like this guy is like working on a couple of comps uh, outputs for me. And he's like, do you need me to stay here? And I'm like, hey, yeah, dude, you need to stay here, right? <laughs> and so then he emails me like an hour later. He's like, hey, I'm just telling you, like, I'm, 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 I'm going to be here and I'm just going to take a, I'm just going to take a nap in the closet on the fourth floor here. But, you know, you, you know, you've got my back and I'm here to stay for whatever we need. So he literally pulled an all nighter with me 
and he slept in the closet. And then like at like eight morning, like the next day, one of the first year analysts opens the door and here's that guy just like tucked away in the middle of the closet. And he's like, Oh my God, like I have to do his deal. Right. So it's, it's just a, a phenomenal kind of like moment. Did, where, so you didn't you know, need, you didn't need him. He just was staying there just in case he, you needed him kind of thing. And, effect, effectively. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah, he was but, still asleep when somebody walked in. But he, he slept in the closet and people it. found him there. And, you know, and I mean, look, I, 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 you know, God bless him. That guy is literally like a director at Metal Mark Capital now. So <laughs> nice. he, know, he knows a shit. Like, no, there's no, nothing, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like, he's a good hey, guy. He's willing uh, to put so in the, so, put in the, put in the hard work as an intern. That's awesome. He, he put, he, he put in the hard work as an intern. Yeah. Um, good for him. Other story, other stories are, you know, dealing with like an associate who was from the Greek army and he just had very high standards for everything that we wanted to put out there. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, there'd be times where he would call me like, you're a bitch or like, you're this or that, like get your act together. Like, you know, and what people need to realize is that, you know, you need to have a little bit of a thick skin in this business and don't take yourself too seriously. Right. Like sometimes the analysis that you're going to put out there is totally illustrative and bullshit to the effect that, it doesn't really matter, right? So yeah. you just have to kind of play the game there and just do what you're told and don't think that you're smarter than your associate. I think one of the things that I always kind of, you know, catch myself on is I feel like I know the game and sometimes I feel like I'm too good to play the game, mm-hmm. but nobody's too good Nobody's too good to play the game, right? I think unless you're seeing something yeah, and unpa- like unpacking. where like somebody's like snorting coke in the office or somebody's like, you know, sexually abusing somebody yeah like you should alert that but other than that like it's basically fair game um yeah like if um, you're getting reamed out or whatever chewed out it's just like par for the course is what you're saying it's par for the course yeah Yeah. exactly so a lot of that is just people using their reverse psychology to just test your limits Mm. so enjoy enjoy that like (laughs) embrace it i i I think it's it's good to 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 get rattled a bit right it's good yeah yeah for sure. You're kind of uh, putting yourself in a little bit of stress. So so you're with Wall Street Prep for a, a good run there. And then tell me a little bit about uh, your latest move. What's going on now? Yeah. Um, so I've spent like five years at Wall Street Prep. Um, um, you know, I've also taught kids in private tutoring uh, mm-hmm. um, sessions. And one of my stories is that I've taught, you know, uh, like a kid who was like, the son of like an amazing, massive institutional investor where he was basically walked into like a Goldman Sachs internship and his mom was having, you know, lunch with Lloyd Blankfein during a Yankee game. And so was he. Right. Yeah. Uh, but in like in 2014, I'm like, uh, you know, staffed for a private tutoring project that's at the Trump Soho, the former Trump Soho. And I'm going to this hotel and there's this kid from a very rich family and he's accompanied by this tutor who's I'm going to tutor the tutor who's going to end up tutoring the kid. That's what it's like. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so <laughs> you're tutoring the tutor. You was know, it, the, was the tutor able to pick it up fast enough or would you would have been easier? Just yeah. To the, the, kid? The, the tutor, interestingly enough, runs his own like website, but he's like a Princeton grad and a hockey guy, Got but it. he just likes to just like, you know, work for the family. Got it's it. Phenomenal. Right. It just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> out of the twilight zone. Uh, but you know, the guy that I end up tutoring, you know, he has ADHD and he also has a lot of pressure to feel like he has to perform. So like at the end, like I gave him a pep talk and he literally broke down on me. Oh man. Um, That's sad. You don't, you don't understand like, you know, there's a lot of pressure and 
I have to perform and I'm from a rich family. Yeah. I'm like, dude, you just need to kind of take a chill pill and you need to figure out what you want to do. The single most important thing is you need to figure out for anybody is figure out where you're going to leverage your most, the most of your energy. Like where is your passion going to lie? Yeah. That's what's going to take you through. I, yeah, I 100% agree with that. I think the hard part with it, you know, hearing that story is, you know, everyone thinks the kid with money has it easy, but it's almost like they're starting on third base. No one else from giving them, give them credit for getting home. Um, and it's like they can never, it's almost like they can never outlive that a little bit. And so everyone is always going to see their, any success they have as given to them, which is a really tough spot to be in, you know, because anyone who it wants means, to, it, you know, um, yeah, they don't have to worry about, you know, paying bills and, and whatnot, but just to tend to build your own path and find your own passion, I'm sure it's incredibly, it can be depressing, right? Um, it's it's immensely depressing. I mean, I, I've yeah. taught similar kids like that. I mean, and, and you know, and it's hard for him to stay focused. Like, you know, you would rather just go hang out with his girlfriend, his like Russian model girlfriend who I walked in, <laughs> you know, seeing in her, you know, in her shorts, you know, at nine in the morning. It's like, I'm here to fucking teach a course. Sorry for my French. Yeah, no, I'm here to teach a course in corporate finance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, this beautiful Russian girl is sitting in the couch. Right. So I don't know how to, how to, are you having trouble focusing? That. Yeah. <laughs> fair enough fair um, enough. so okay yeah. So that, yeah that's crazy man i that so you had this kind of one-off projects that was that sounds like it was a pretty rare occurrence however it was one of those just strange twilight it's things. happened like two it's happened two or three times okay. I, I taught another girl who was the daughter of like a hedge fund tycoon who was like the protege of carl icon okay and uh had a very similar experience with her too she kind of cried and said like you don't understand and this and that so yeah i've used this up time at Wall Street Prep to kind of understand that like I needed everybody needs to understand that it's not that serious that you just kind of have to go in and focus and, and, and give yourself time and find that right place for yourself to actually bloom um, and you have to love yourself so people really have to give themselves credit for what they're doing and if they're really focused but they're hard on themselves they'll end up always feeling disappointed in themselves like I think people need to really harness that strength inside to find, okay, uh, where am I, how am I going to stay happy? I think that's like the most important question everybody has to ask themselves. And if they could do it by doing a hundred hour job and finding that piece of ha- place of happiness after they do their job, then that's good for them. Right. It's yeah. not for everybody. Right? Yeah. They should, people or, should be optimizing for, for happiness, not money. I think that's really important. Opti- yeah. Optimize for happiness, not money. And also just realize it's not that serious. Another piece of advice is like, like don't think that you're a hero. Like at the end of the day, like be your hero by, you know, by staying in a soup kitchen and, and helping feed poor people. By be a hero by mentoring people. Be a hero by spending time with your mother and father who have, you know, painstakingly, you know, worked really hard for 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 you to to get on your two feet, right? I mean, yeah. take some value in those things that are going to be longer lasting than the job. That's really really important. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. So, yeah, I think oh, it's, it, I, I love that. Um, I think it's a really important message, and I think it's, it gets lost in all the hey, what technical interview question am I going to be asked <laughs> in this hire view? You know, yeah. the, it gets lost in all of that. So, I, I appreciate you you pointing that out. Um, so, yeah, tell me a little bit more about your last step, or, or maybe you don't want to talk about it. That's fine too. Um, but just what's next for you in, in general? Yeah, no, I mean, I think um, 
have you found yourself have you I... yeah have you found what you like have you do you feel like or do you feel like you're still kind of searching and enjoying the, the the path and the journey i think i think you have to keep things continuously interesting for yourself um i think uh i think if you go down a path and you find yourself really really focused on one path and then you look back and you're like wow i just did one thing for the past 20 years you'll regret that mm. right yeah um I think if you enjoy the journey and you try to find different aspects of, of what you want to solve, that keeps things interesting. So, you know, while I was at Wall Street Prep, I took it upon myself to do a lot of, you know, offsite CFO consulting for early stage companies. Um, and I worked on some pretty cool things. One of them being, you know, a, you know, like a $5 billion startup that's run by a former, you know, a big time CEO. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, you know, you could call me unlucky because I'm not, working on that platform, but there's also some cultural considerations of why I wouldn't work with that tech CEO. Right. So, so you find your happiness in what you like doing. Like I, I like helping solve problems. I help, I like helping being restorative. So the teaching, the consulting that really resonates with me. Um, right now, um, I've taken a break from wall street prep full time because I've got a family and, young kids. And so I moved out of New York and I'm living in Washington, D.C. And I really like the education system here. And I like the fact that I could spend a little more time with my family. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually at a hospitality company doing corporate development. Um, and Very so cool. uh, I'm taking all my experiences from franchising and investment banking and tech. And really, it's, it's coming into fruition where I could add value in a lot of different ways to support the CFO and head of corporate development of this hospitality company. That's great. Uh, and then I could I, I could really give the bankers a run for their money because I'm, <laughs> I'm interfacing with them. Right. Oh, I'm sure they and love that. Yeah. Sorry. I'm sure they love that. You're like, actually, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so it, it's, it's nice to be able to call them on their BS because at the end of the day, the banker is a salesman. So yeah, I like that side of the equation. I like being at the, at a publicly traded entity where I'm looking at the downstream effects of what a transaction does in terms of financial disclosure, you know, strategic direction of the company. Yeah. Um, you know, you try to elevate yourself to an operator, right? And so, and, and like every banker is the same. If I'm talking to Goldman Sachs or Molis or JP Morgan, I'm not going to take anything away from the fact that those guys are really smart or anything like that. But whenever we're having these conversations, it's like, it's like a script, right? Yeah. Of, okay, the buy side is going to talk in a certain way. The sell side is going to talk in a certain way. There's retrading of, of, of a potential M&A uh, transaction. And then, you know, all of the qualifying language that a banker comes with, like, this is very illustrative. This is high level. This is, you know, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not, you know, we're not putting the needle here or the banker's going to say, I'm not an operator, but we think it works like this, right? Because the type of analysis that an investment banker is going to do is going to be very paper driven, very illustrative. Mm-hmm. It's not going to take into account the downstream effects of like, okay, how much do I have to spend to integrate this company into my business? Like, how do I think about the disenergies like, or synergies? Yeah. How do I, how do I, how do I factor that in? So that's kind of the part of the analysis that I'm really focusing on. And I'm, I'm still leveraging a lot of like my financial modeling and structuring skills to uh, support startups on the side. So I do consulting for early stage startups across different uh, areas in, in, in different industries. And I, I think of myself as a guy who could probably get involved in private equity or VC, but I'm not desiring to. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I have all the skill set that a buy side professional could provide but I'm doing it on my own terms. 
Got it. No, that's fair. And it sounds like you have your priorities straight with getting more family time and especially the young kids and all that. So that's great. So congrats on that. No, I appreciate it. No, I appreciate and it. I really appreciate you taking all the time to kind of come on the come on the pod. Thank you so much. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, Patrick at WallStreetOasis.com. And until next time.